Welcome to We Just Like to Talk. I'm your host, Becky. And I'm Kara. This is a podcast for easy listening about hard subjects. And today's guest is... Samantha Chris. Samantha, could you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Who are you and what do you do? It's such a loaded question these days. <laughs> Who am I and what do I do? Oh, you know what? This is probably going to be such a long-winded bio, but it's very reflective of where I'm at right now. <laughs> I used to put so much weight to accolades in taking great pride in saying TEDx speaker and best-selling author and coach. And I'm, I'm in this very introspective stage right now where I'm not actively chasing anything. And it feels a little disingenuous to introduce myself in that way in this period. And so um, I'm the head of people and culture at Goldcast. I, my main business is now my side hustle. I'm multi-passionate and figuring it out, you guys. <laughs> Just figuring it out. I love that. I mean, just to give a little bit of context for our listeners, like I attended one of your talks, I think in 2019, maybe the beginning of 2019. And I remember it was like a co-working space. There's a couple other speakers. You were like the main attraction. And I was just so inspired by your talk. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like she wrote a book. I bought your book. I got it signed. And it's so funny because I was flipping through and it's called Bossing Up for those of you who are wondering. Um, And there's like notes just so you can reflect and write about whatever you want. And I was looking back and I was like, okay, I didn't fill out all the notes sections, but the ones that I did, it's really interesting to look back and see what I've written. That's really cool because those note pages were a last minute decision. So it was like 48 hours before the book went to print. And I was like, wait, I am someone who makes like good use of my books. I'm folding corners. I'm highlighting. I'm taking notes. And I was like, if my readers are anything like me and if I am getting them to think and engage with the content in the way that I'm intending to, then I want them to have a space to see how they can, you know, like pull through some of the learnings of my story and apply it to theirs in a in a really meaningful way and not just like I'm listening and I'm, or I'm reading and I'm thinking, oh, this could be helpful one day, but really rather tangibly applying it to your own life in the moment. And so I'm really glad to hear that it was a good call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. Kara, you know, or were introduced to Samantha in a different way. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I first heard about you, Samantha, through Becky, because she wouldn't shut mm-hmm. up about you. <laughs> and, uh, she just kept going on about how great you were. But oh gosh, in a, in a separate context, I'm a teacher. I teach math and English to adult students trying to get their high school diploma here in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And I was 
as usual, revamping some of the stuff I do in my course. And one of the things I like to do in the first week of my English courses is just to talk about success and failure, get my students back into the mindset of kind of like, what does it mean to learn and take chances? And I like to talk about goal setting. So I found your TEDx talk and I recognized your name from Becky talking about you. (laughs) And I watched your TED talk and I'm like, this is really nice because I like to talk about goals. And of course, you know, I talk about the smart goals and I talk about goal setting in general. So it was nice to have like yet another example of this is another way to pursue setting your goals. Um, And I love using TED talks in general in my class because of course, one of the strands of English is oral communication. So it's great to be able to break down those talks and see like, how do you hook in your audience and how do you lay out your thoughts in this coherent way? So I have used your TED talk in my classroom sometimes. That's so cool. I really appreciate you sharing that. And it's interesting because I would not have described myself as coherent if I'd spoken to you (laughs) after that TED talk. I was so nervous. It was my first talk as an adult on stage. And I say as an adult because I did a lot of public speaking as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I had been practicing for months and for months. And right before going on stage, my coach, my speaker coach was in the audience. We were doing our dry run. And I completely blanked on Mm. everything. And he knew my talk, right? I had practiced time and time again. And so he starts saying it right as if to kind of get the ball in motion and it just wasn't coming to me and I was like oh my god like this can't be happening he's like it's all right Sam it's it's done like you this has been your blank moment it's not going to happen again you've gotten it out of your system you're going to be great I was like okay and I get on stage and I I start the talk and it's a 16 minute talk and I know it's 16 minutes I've timed it again like hundreds of times and I finish the talk and I realize that there's four minutes left on the timer. Mm. I was like, oh <laughs> dang. Like I totally forgot four whole minutes. And and not just like a chunk of four minutes, but sprinkled here and there, just forgotten bits. And mm. I was so upset. I was so hard on myself. I was so upset at the end of the talk. I stepped off stage and my dad was just like, Hey sweetie, you did so great. I was like, Don't talk to me, Dad. <laughs> awful. And Oh my gosh. So I I appreciate the kind words even to this day because I remember that feeling. And like I said, coherent would not have been the word that I would have chosen to describe the talk. But in hindsight, um, the bits that I had forgotten, pretty interesting, were really my subconscious kind of weeding out all the stuff I had crammed in there to make myself Mm -hmm. sound more credible and more professional and smarter. Yeah. So what was left was like a really authentic, albeit nervous version of me yeah but that's the best that's the ultimate yeah version. yeah I'm, that's it I'm, I'm kind of like refining that version I'm really reconnecting to to that but I I did you know I was really caught up for a long time in having to sound very polished and very professional and like I had it together and um really finding that there's a lot of beauty in the in-between in really like the figuring it out stage so would you consider doing another TEDx talk? And if so, what topic would you like to talk about? Ooh, I would consider another TED talk. I don't know if if I have an idea or a concept just yet um, because the 
idea with the TEDx platform is that you are either sharing a new idea or a new take on an old idea. And I'm not sure that I have something kind of revolutionary that I'm sitting on at the moment or a perspective mm -hmm. that I feel hasn't yet been shared. But I do have a second book idea brewing. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog <laughs> drinking in the background. <laughs> it's a hot day here in Montreal. But yeah, the idea for the second book is brewing and Ooh. I'm toying with the concept of reinvention. And a lot of my talks that are picking back up for the second part of 2021 or around that theme. And I think I have a lot still to explore before it, it really starts to materialize. But I'm someone who has, you know, I would say that I've reinvented myself a couple times, particularly mm -hmm. in my professional life, but also as a host of a podcast about change, I speak with a lot of people about their change journey and how they too have had to reinvent themselves um, or life has kind of catalyzed a reinvention, so to speak. So I'm starting to see that there are a lot of common denominators, a lot of trends and, and just fascinating stories that I'm, I'm sitting with and seeing, you know, how that comes to fruition. Mm, okay. So on this topic, I actually attended that talk the art of reinvention. And I was just blown away at how vulnerable you were. You shared a lot about like your personal struggles and some of the things that you were unpacking. So I have like a few questions based oh, off of this talk. Sure. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that Chris is actually your middle name. Yeah. What's your real last name? Oh my God. You're just out here airing out my whole, <laughs> my whole legal name. No, I'm, I'm joking. It's it's not anything <laughs> um, secretive, but it is Demers, so very French last name. Oh. And um, I, I decided to go by Samantha Chris for a few reasons. One, because I was convinced that the uh, majority of my clientele would be either English speaking or American, like, mm -hmm. or I guess North American, but really I was targeting some um, businesses in the States when I first got started. And it's a French name that has been butchered my entire life, but it's also very deceiving. Mm -hmm. And as someone in Montreal whose French isn't very strong, um, anytime that I submit, you know, if, whether it's an email or a proposal, or if I call and leave a voicemail, uh, the default is to think that I am Francophone when in fact my French is kind of poor. And, uh, but I was more than that. I was at a stage in my life where I had kind of envisioned this 2.0 version of me and I thought I want to give her a name and I want to give her an identity and I want to step into that vision that I have for myself and so uh, it was a bit of a rebranding so to speak and and that you know on the topic of reinvention was definitely a point in my life where I thought um, yeah I'm going to redefine who I am and what success looks like to me at this stage of my life. Wow. You are now inspiring me to change my last name to something that is more French. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, people in Quebec will just automatically revert to speaking to me in French. That would be fantastic. So during the during the talk, or maybe it was afterwards, you had mentioned uh, sort of like speaking to your coach. I don't know if it's a business coach or a life coach. I'm assuming it's a life coach. How long have you had a coach? And... Do you recommend that others get a coach? Ooh, I've had a 
coach for the better part of my entrepreneurial journey, uh, formally, I would say, but I've always had really strong mentors and people who I looked up to and who I greatly respected and that I would turn to for, you know, questions and advice and guidance. Um, but when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I did hire a business coach and really, you know, wanted to see there's, there's a lot that I didn't know. And so what questions should I be asking? What steps should I be starting with? Um, and eventually I realized that, you know, it's entrepreneurship is not too dissimilar from the business world that I had been exposed to in corporate. And so felt pretty well supported in, I guess, the operations of the logistics and setting up a business as I had been pretty close to that in my last job and realized that the support I needed was really more on the personal side. So I've had a number of coaches throughout that journey. I'm currently working with two. One of them is more of a, a lifestyle coach, I would say. The mm-hmm. other is uh, like she specializes in archetype development. So really understanding your behaviors, your traits, where they stem from. And I've worked with a therapist as well uh, because we are, or at least I, you know, they'll speak on my own behalf, have a tendency to be my own biggest blocker and can mm-hmm. get in my own way. And uh, no amount of business coaching is is really going to set you straight if you are your own biggest problem. <laughs> we, we we are definitely big proponents of therapy here. We we've done a whole podcast episode about why we think everybody should try therapy at least once. Oh, yeah. it's honestly like it's so liberating and it's hard, but it's it's hard. Beautiful. Yeah. So on, on the subject of advice, I'm I'm curious. So I've got a two-part question here for you. First, could you maybe tell us what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Mm. And then if you need a little bit of time to think about that, here's another question for you. How do you know when you've received bad advice? I like these ones. So maybe this is cheating. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something that I that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. And it has become one of my guiding principles. And so it wasn't advice in the traditional sense of this is what you should do, but it was something that has really become kind of like a North star to me or for me. And it's that um, it was actually, I went to go see Arlene Dickinson speak. So for those who don't Mm. know her, she's one of the dragons on dragons. Den. she's uh, written books. She's an incredible speaker. And she described success as the moment when the depths of your desires meet the height of your dreams. And yeah, and it was just this light bulb moment for me where it's like, you know, those things that are in those, those feelings, those ideas, those, I don't know, like, callings that you feel in the gut of your stomach and you might not be able to articulate them yet, but you feel them coming. Mm -hmm. And then you start to give it a little more brain power and you start to think about how it can unfold and what do I need to put into place to make this happen? And you start to dream and you start to dream big. And that's really where I like to like live my life in that kind of zone. And so whatever, I guess, you know, if I could translate that into advice would be like define what success 
looks and feels like to you and follow that. And so to the second part of the question is like, what is bad advice? If it, if it is not in integrity with that feeling, whatever that is for you or whatever that definition is for you, if you have any kind of negative reaction to it, um, that's something to pay attention to. And it could be that you don't fully understand it. It could be that you need more information. It could be that it's completely the wrong path for you. But I would say the sooner you can recognize what success feels like, the sooner you can identify when something is not in alignment with it. I, I think that's one of the challenges that I certainly face, right? It is whether it's a life coach or a therapist or a friend or yourself, like, you know, sometimes people will give you advice and you might have that gut reaction at first of like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. But then is that me pushing back because it's bad advice for me? Or is that me pushing back because I'm scared or don't want to get out of my comfort zone or don't really want to consider that idea with an open mind? Like it's hard to tell sometimes. That's fair. And what's interesting, so Becky will remember this from the talk, but I was sharing how I had been kind of ignoring some of my fears for some time because a large part of the persona that I had built was this fearless, I can do anything, nothing can phase me kind of version of me. And while I think that there is some truth to that, I also think that um, a lot of it was like armor that I was putting up to protect myself, either from myself, from others, um, some of the things I'm still kind of discovering. But what I realized is that any time that I refused to admit that I was afraid, I was not acknowledging that there was there was something there. And one of my coaches explains fear as this guy on a bicycle and he's he's a little messenger and he's just coming to give you some information because all fear is is information and an invitation to explore what's not immediately clicking what's not sitting well and any time in my mind or in my life that this little guy on a bicycle would drive by and I felt this like fear coming on by I was like nope not home keep going like I'm not interested and I think that there's like a lot of fear that I was not open to uh, to owning or really not identifying with. And I don't know if this is resonating or if this lands, you know, for anyone, but I think if we refuse to accept it as fear, then we can reject things and we will deflect that onto any number of people. But if we can be mm -hmm. open-minded and thinking maybe there's something here I am afraid of and rule that out early, or, you know, spoiler alert, you might find the things that you are afraid of and you, and, and then you've got something to work with and face. But otherwise, you know, if we continue to deflect, then I think we just delay, <laughs> we, we delay the reflection and we perpetuate the problem. I think that I ignored fear or refused to acknowledge it as such because for a long time I believed that fear equals weakness. Mm. And if I am afraid, therefore I am weak. And mm -hmm. that was something I refused to accept about myself. And it was a story that needed some some unpacking, you know, like I needed to really figure out, well, what is it that I'm afraid of? Why am I afraid to be weak? What's there? I think that's so interesting. That's major work, but obviously very valuable to do it. So good on you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So speaking of advice, I'm just curious, what advice do you have for women who want to elevate their life 
and make a big slash positive impact. What you permit, you promote. And Ooh. whether that is, yeah, it's, 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 it's like juicy and it yeah. can be applied in your personal life through business, but whether it is how you let people talk to you, treat you, mm-hmm. um, how you're showing up in the workplace, in the world, um, the things that you let slide are the things that you're inadvertently showing people that it's okay. And so there's a lot to communication, obviously the words you speak, our body language, but also in what we allow and what we will sweep under the rug and what we see or don't say things about or see and, you know, really advocate for. Um, But I think that was a fundamental learning for me that when I realized, oh, if I'm allowing this to happen, I am promoting that it is okay. And I started Mm -hmm. to show up very differently. And I would say that the impact that I could measure on my team, on the business, you know, in my entrepreneurial journey, in my community, um, it all, I was able to raise the bar across the board because I was able to, to stand from a place of integrity and when I started to realize that, oh, I have a great degree of influence of how I'm spoken to or treated, it gave me a sense of uh, empowerment that I didn't feel I had before. Mm-hmm. That even if no one else rec- no one, yeah, no one else recognized it, it it was something that I felt internally that gave me the ability to kind of stand up a little taller and to voice things that I wasn't okay with and to um, to create change that I really believed was necessary and in, in whatever environment in, I was in at the moment. I'm just wondering, like, was there something in particular that you're like, that is not okay with me and I won't accept that sort of behavior? Yeah, there were, there were a few, uh, from discrimination, from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, from, um, mm. like how people are, are generally treated yeah, so there, it has definitely happened. I'm just not sure how to bring it up in a way that is. So, okay, so this kind of brings up something I was wondering about yeah. because so much of the work that we, we've seen you do so far, at least, since you are in the process of reinventing and reimagining yourself, but so far, like a lot of the work you've done, a lot of the things you've spoken about really focus on the idea of individual empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea of like creating your own success. So I, I was curious, like, what's your take on structural barriers, especially like intersecting barriers of racism, you know, sexism, ableism? How, how do you see your role and your work in empowering people towards like more social change? It's a really great question. And it's one that I've tried to navigate like what role can I play what would be a position where I could really help move the needle and at this point I feel that my biggest role and it's a personal answer but I think it it can also be applied a little more generally has been a great desire to understand and to learn and I don't feel that um, if I don't feel that if I if I'm not understanding something or if I haven't taken the time to educate myself, then I feel I could probably do more harm than good. And so what I use is, as one of the avenues is my podcast to understand people's stories and perspectives so I can see and start to form 
um, an opinion of my own and start to better understand what change can look like and what is, um, you know, in in the parts of my life, whether community, social, business-wise, where I can start to bring some of these conversations to the forefront because I am in a position where, and I say in a position, but really I, I feel that it's probably been my whole life that I have an ability to get people's attention mm-hmm. and to bring awareness to to topics, to things, to ideas, to problems. And it's something that I've been really mindful that I want to use wisely, again, coming from an educated place. And so I don't think I have a clear-cut answer, but I have a great desire to want to learn more and to push the envelope and to see and to be humbled in understanding where can I best be of value because I think one of the mistakes that I'd made early on in my career was assuming that I could be helpful, was assuming that by interjecting mm-hmm. I would bring value and, uh, and when it wasn't the case. And so I've been really fortunate to be, you know, in my, again, personal and professional life surrounded by people who are very understanding and who are uh, patient um, and willing to have these conversations with me. But I'm, I'm at a place now where I think I want to contribute to the education and to starting some of these conversations so that people can go on that journey of self-discovery and be more informed so that they also can feel empowered. And I do think that even if we're talking about, you know, structural changes, um, that it is people at the end of the day. And, and if, the, if individuals don't feel empowered, then, in, then a system won't feel empowered. Yeah, I, I think it's very wise to recognize that, like, the first step for anybody who wants to understand more about oppressions they don't experience themselves is to listen mm-hmm. and, and not assume that uh, you, you can just charge in uh, because that that can be very problematic, as you point out. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. And, and that's a, a great way to look at it is the first step of doing the work is, is to listen, to learn, to learn, like, what what we need to do with our power and our privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is it, in this case, since we're currently in the middle of a federal election, is it voting for change? Mm-hmm. Is it showing up for a protest? Is it signing an online petition? Is it, you know, in the workplace, maybe just being the one to kind of speak up in the room and interject when you see something happening that you don't think is appropriate, right? Like, there's so many little moments and, and Sometimes I think we kid ourselves into thinking that real change has to be big change. Mm. And it has to be something that you you do this one thing and everything's going to change and be different overnight. And I don't really think that's realistic, right? It's real changes, the small, consistent changes that you commit to, and then you live it throughout your life. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally mm-hmm. agree. And I think that it requires commitment, you know, a, a, to a degree that I'm not sure a lot of people have really come to internalize, especially those who are on this. I mean, I think we're all on a learning journey, but especially those who have, you know, perhaps like me in the past who have, I, I don't know if I charged in, but like definitely came from an uninformed or misinformed place. Mm-hmm. And systems evolve, people evolve. And if we want to continue to be part of the solution and part of the change, then we need to continuously evolve as well. And there's a lot of confronting biases and beliefs and, um, and assumptions 
And in my case, there was a lot that I would say I was neutral on um, and, and not necessarily in supporting both for and against, but really hadn't understood where I yeah. stand on the matter. And, uh, and that's been part of it as well as really seeking to form, like I said, an educated opinion and, and having that, that commitment to, to wanting to see continuous improvement. It's the, the internet and social media put a lot of pressure on us to always have an opinion about mm-hmm. everything that's happening. And I, I think a lot of us need to get more comfortable with saying, I don't have an opinion because I don't know enough about that. And that's actually been really uncomfortable. I've been in like several so- social situations where topics have come up and, you know, eyeballs kind of shift to me and are like, well, what do you think? And, and, and I don't want to speak out of term and I don't want to not contribute to the conversation, but I also don't want to contribute anything that won't be valuable or isn't coming from a place of um, like a full understanding or, or at least a comfortable level of understanding. And yeah, I, I do think that um, it takes a great degree of being okay with yourself to say, I don't know, or I don't have an opinion, or, or I've thought about it, but I haven't really, like, I don't understand it fully. What about you guys? I feel like <laughs> about, about this subject, or about you just this? want to ask us anything. You can ask us anything you want. <laughs> I mean, I mean, on, on this subject too. I mean, I think it's interesting because I've I've not had this kind of conversation with anyone, and like, yeah, um, and I've also never kind of said like, hey, open the kimono to to not knowing things and it feeling kind of shitty sometimes. But I mean, how were you guys? What do you, how do you guys approach it? I mean, what is it that that makes okay. you feel uncomfortable or confident either way. I would say if we're going to speak about just like world issues or like oppression and understanding other people's points of view, I would say I was pretty ignorant like a couple years ago. <laughs> and Kara could probably attest to this. Not that I was going around being like saying things on purpose to hurt individuals, but just, you know, just not having the awareness, I would say, just being a little bit unconscious of that. And then there hit a point where I was like, you know what, if I do want to help people and I do want to uplift people, then I want to learn from them. And also, I think it's important to say that you shouldn't be asking or like you shouldn't be putting that on one individual. You shouldn't be expecting one individual to educate you, right? So it's important to diversify like where you're getting the information from Mm -hmm. educate yourself like this is not anybody's job to educate the dumb white bitch (laughs) (laughs) when i can swear i i I love swearing you know when i can swear i will swear (laughs) but it's you know that's what i've learned and i feel like now i'm at a place where i'm like okay i don't know everything i have a good grasp on certain things and I'm more conscious and aware, but I obviously still have blind spots. Mm -hmm. And then I also feel like it's part of my duty to challenge other people who are not as aware. Yeah. A white male friend, for for instance, I do not mind challenging them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What about you, Cara? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, Samantha, I, I 
straight up, I'm intentionally trying to make you feel uncomfortable a little bit. Uh, I love it though. You, maybe. <laughs> I yeah, love I know. It. I know. I knew you'd be up for that. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I like to do with our podcast. You know, I think Becky and I are very good at having these kinds of conversations and challenging each other, challenging each other's thoughts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I come at this as like, I'm a teacher and I'm often teaching these students who have had very different lives from me. They weren't mm-hmm. successful in high school the first time around. Um, often they have histories involving poverty or substance abuse, or they face structural barriers. I have students who are indigenous. I have students who are uh, English language learners who have come to Canada from another country. And it, it just, it makes me think a lot about like, what are my obligations as a teacher plus what are my obligations to learn and also to unlearn mm-hmm. as a white person here on stolen land? And, you know, I, I find that one of the duties I, I see myself having, just like Becky said, as a white woman, I want to challenge other people, especially other white women, mm-hmm. um, because we you take on the women, I take on the men. <laughs> yeah, divide and conquer, baby. Um, yeah, well, I, I find that that we have an interesting, we occupy an interesting position in, in uh, our society here, right? Because obviously, like, we do experience oppression in the form of sexism, but we have a ton of privilege as white people. And for example, I, I just recently read this summer, White Tears, Brown Scars by Ruby Hamad, which is all about the the particular fragility of white women, especially white women who consider themselves feminists when they're mm. challenged on issues of race and racism, how they retreat retreat to that that armor of like, well, but you know, I'm a woman, you can't, you can't challenge me like that, and it just mm. makes me think about how like it's so easy to do harm and not realize that you're doing harm, and yes. even to think that you're doing good, and I, mm. I think that's something Samantha that you touched on when you were talking about needing to do that learning, right? Mm -hmm. So I have done a lot of reading. I continue to do a lot of reading. I have lots of interesting conversations, just like you were saying on on your podcast. And I feel like something I need to do to grow myself and to help other people and to do that work for our society is to use what I've learned to push people, nudge people, challenge people's thinking say like, what do you think about this? But what are you doing about this? And I'm never expecting a perfect answer from people because there's no such thing as a perfect answer. There's Mm no, you know, there's no perfect thing. But I I think I want people to understand that not being racist is not the same as being anti-racist. And Mm -hmm. so it's not sufficient for us to coast along and say like, well, you know, I got some black friends or like, you know, I got some trans friends. It's like, what are you doing to actively challenge the mm-hmm. oppressions that people, these people you call your friends are facing in, in, in society and in their lives. Right. So right. I just, I want to keep poking people and, and, and asking them these, these tougher questions. I think it's great. And I think the fact that this conversation isn't scripted and there's no questions submitted ahead of time, uh, you really mm-hmm. get kind of the, the first response. And I mean, as you can see, like I'm fumbling my way through it because I'm not sure I've fully made sense of it myself, you know, like I, oh. mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm really, it's a mess. It's that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. My thoughts are a mess. Like it's, which isn't to say that, that it can't be 
you know, great or that like it's, it's not anything to do with the emotion behind it. It's just like it is a messy process to learn and unlearn and and rethink how you're showing up in the world and challenge not only others, but yourself. Right. I mean, I think the more mm-hmm. aware we become of how we're showing up, the more we're able to spot where, you know, other parts of our life where certain trends or behaviors or communication styles or, or the way that we show up is similar. And it's interesting. I've spoken to a number of people who will say the way you do one thing is the way you do all things. And I'm not sure if I fully subscribe to that way of thought, but what I have recognized is that the way that I show up, whether it's, you know, in a social context with my family, with business is typically the way I show up in the world. And you know, Becky, to your point, we have blind spots and those blind spots will follow us from one environment to the next. And if we're not actively seeking to shed light on those parts of us and bring awareness Mm -hmm. to it, then it will continue to be in the dark and we can't, we can't address what we don't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I feel like that's why it's also so important to have like surround yourself with people who aren't just going to be kissing your butt essentially. Mm -hmm. Be honest with you, people who are authentic themselves and who can have like straightforward conversations. You say something or you do something that they didn't like, like are they going to sweep it under the rug or are they going to confront you about it? And I much – like I value confrontation. Like it sounds strange but I I value being – I value people being straightforward with me. And I know it's hard and I've like I was the person before that would just sweep things under the rug, wouldn't want to have uncomfortable conversations, something bothered me, whatever, suck it up. But now like I've reached a point in my life where I'm like, no, like if you've like crossed a boundary, if you've said something, not even that's like just bothered me, but maybe that I felt like was inappropriate, maybe to someone else even, then I will say something. I'll say it compassionately, of course, but I don't mind going there. I don't mind going toe-to-toe with someone. <laughs> I think it's important. And it, it's it's yeah. like you've got to flex that muscle because it's not comfortable. Yes. I mean, especially as a woman, you're taught to be complacent yeah. with a lot of things. You're taught to like not rock the boat. I've learned about myself that I just have a very re- rebellious nature. And you tell me to do something and I will do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so that. <laughs> I think I said that on your podcast. Yeah, I'm like, I am a rebel, and like, I will wave the, that flag loud and proud, baby. <laughs> what is what does your morning routine look like, and has it changed since COVID? Not a whole lot, to be honest. Something that is new is the integration of my gratefulness breathing, I call it. And so I do Mm -hmm. 10 deep, deep belly breaths before I, like my toes touch the floor, before I look at my phone, before anything. And when I inhale, I think I am grateful for. And when I exhale, I think about something that I'm grateful for. And I do that 10 times, ideally looking for 10 different things Mm -hmm. and really getting into that place of gratitude. Um, We'll always start, I will not leave my bedroom without having a full 
venti size uh, cup of water. <laughs> so I have like a big giant Starbucks cup that I always have filled with water, never with coffee. And so yeah. I try to have one full one of those before I even leave my room. And I will always start my day with puppy cuddles. So well, I say Aww. puppy. I mean, they're 12 years old, but yeah. <laughs> start my day so with cute, though. I've oh. seen photos of them on Instagram and they're adorable. Yeah, they're hands. They, they know it, too. <laughs> and contrary to a lot of uh, kind of gurus suggestions, I will check my phone um, and my notifications and my emails probably before I leave my bedroom. But it's really not because and maybe this is me convincing myself but i have i am wholeheartedly believe or or believing that it's not because i'm addicted to it and need the the adrenaline rush okay. but it's yeah exactly <laughs> but it's because each time that i wake up to emails i'm reminded that i'm doing something i love and this was as true wow. in, yeah and it's a really good feeling Mm-hmm. It was it was like I started this habit, I suppose, when I was um, when I had just started my business and waking up to emails meant that I was still in business, meant that I was doing mm-hmm. it, meant that I was living this dream and and was succeeding in however small capacity. And now in my current role as the head of people and culture, I'm on some pretty incredible projects. I'm speaking to candidates all day long. I have an incredible team. And if they're reaching out to me, it's because of something exciting. And there are very few, I mean, of course there's, you know, fires and and things that need to be addressed that aren't always sunshine and rainbows. But for the most part, if I'm waking up to something in my inbox, it is requiring action and if it's an initiative that I've started or a project that I'm on, it's one that I that, that really lights my soul on fire. There's nothing I'm doing right now that I'm like, ugh, really? And so to see those notifications come in is just such a nice way to be reminded going in that, you know what, today's is a good day. I've got at least 10 things that I'm grateful for. I've had like gross slobbery kisses all over my face. I have a, a job to go to that I love with my business still on the side, which is rolling and clients that I adore. And yeah, you know, <laughs> probably like, I don't know, there's, there's some like skincare routine in there as well. Like, of course I shower and brush my teeth. <laughs> you heard it here first people, Samantha Chris showers and brushes her teeth just She's like the rest of us. Not an ogre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's really like, I like to start the day from a place of, I don't know what's bigger than gratitude it like or more all encompassing it's it's a place of wholeness I suppose mm-hmm. I can't believe you just said that I can't believe you just said the words I like to start my day Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that sentiment at all but you do you <laughs> what do you mean okay wait let's go there Oh, I'm just, I'm not like a morning person. I don't like to start my day at all. Well, even if it starts in the afternoon? No, that's worse. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you have to feel like you catch up. I, I, I like that you, that you do your gratitude in the morning because I, I started doing it at night, just writing three or four things and like a little gratitude journal. And like you said, trying, you, you know, not always saying the same things over and over again trying to find different things you're grateful for. But I think I might start my day with the gratitude. I like that. 
I didn't nice. know about 10 things though. That's it'll sometimes I'll just be on repeat. Like I'll say like my family and then yeah. I'll be thinking and I'm thinking and I'm holding my breath and I'm like family again. <laughs> I'll just think <laughs> of like, another family member. But sometimes like you just get creative and you start, mm-hmm. or at least for me, I'm like, I'm just, if nothing's coming to mind, then I, I, I use my senses and like what's around me and like, Oh, I'm grateful for having air in my lungs and I'm grateful Clean for water. having water exactly right yeah. beside me, right? Big old Starbucks cup. And like, there are yeah. so many things. And when you start your day being like, Oh, electricity, I'm so thankful for you. <laughs> it's like, True. you know, yeah. I don't know. It just gets you in a different vibe where yeah, everything is like, I mean here anyway. And, and the life that I live, I, I look around and I think like there's just so much that, uh, perhaps I was taking for granted that when you just take yes. a minute to slow down look around, you're like, oh, this is, is actually, you know, I'm actually quite blessed. It's so true. And I mean, blessed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's like we take things for granted until they get taken away from us. I mean, mm-hmm. hasn't that been one of the lessons from COVID, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Here's a nice question for us to end off on. Samantha, tell us what's the wildest thing on your bucket list. Bucket list needs to be redone, I tell you. Um, <laughs> feels like I got to I got to get wilder with it. Um wildest thing. I don't know that there's anything Okay, I'm going to be actually really honest. I started thinking about like what is on this bucket list. I don't believe that I have sat down and really thought good and hard about the things that I want to do before I kick the bucket. There are things mm. that I'm like, "Hey, next year or by the time I'm 40, or whatever. But the true answer is, um, I, I think I need to put more thought into what that would look like, and why those things are meaningful. Um, Probably Mm -hmm. a lackluster answer, you're like, no, give me something wild. (laughs) No, hey, any answer is a good answer. I just, I'm in the same way. I'm such a hypocrite asking that question, because I don't (laughs) have a bucket list at all. So Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm interested in seeing where the now takes me. And uh, I have no doubt that there will be some wild adventures. And when something happens, I'm going to call you up, Kara, and I'm going to be like, this is it. This is the <laughs> wild we were waiting for. I look forward to it. So Becky, if our listeners have questions for us or for Samantha, or they want to write in with their wild bucket list items, how <laughs> can they get in contact? You guys can email us at we just like to talk at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page, We Just Like to Talk. And if you can subscribe, like, share our podcast episodes, that would be great. Please, please give us attention. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and talking to us today. Thank you for having me, guys. It was a great chat. Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? You can find me at samanthachris.com. That's Chris with a K. And you'll find LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and any other platform I'm on (laughs) through my website. So best way to get in touch with me. Not just Facebook, like not just your profile, but you also have a Facebook group. I sure do. Bossing up. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Thank you for talking with us (laughs) (laughs) it's been a good talk (laughs) 